0: Today's episode of the Daily Jungle is brought to you by my friends at Fan Exchange. Coming off the weekend, maybe you're thinking about buying tickets to your favorite sports or concert or theater event. Maybe you want to experience a basketball game courtside rather than right there in your living room. Maybe you want to bang on the glass at a hockey game instead of smashing your own TV in your living room. Head on over to Fanexchange.com for a safe, easy, and reliable experience. Tickets purchased on Fan Exchange are always guaranteed. You don't have to worry about getting there, getting to the gate, and not getting in. So whether it's NBA, MLB, wrestling, Coachella, or a Broadway musical, Fan Exchange, get you closer to the action. Find the very best seats at the best prices at fanexchange.com. Here's what you need to do. Use the promo code ROAM. Promo code Rome, and get 50% off the service fees on your next purchase. Fan Exchange. We have tickets. Fan Exchange. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Got to start with the NBA playoffs. And if there is one lesson to come from all the series openers this weekend, it's got to be this. Philadelphia is coming fast and you better look the hell out. The Sixers were playing in their first playoff game since 2012, and they were supposed to be too raw, too young for the postseason. They were supposed to be shocked by how the intensity ramps up in the playoffs. And most of all, they were supposed to take a step back without Joel Embiid. And sure enough, they were down six to Miami at the end of the first quarter. Too much, too soon. Trust the process, but trust that the process has got plenty of steps in it, and making the playoffs might have been the biggest step of all. Now, if you thought that and turned the game off at that point, then you missed something spectacular. Philadelphia 130, Miami 103. It's like Philadelphia tasted its own blood and then started to pummel Miami. One three after another, 18 in all, and I'm not sure who was hotter, the Sixer players or the Sixer fans, because that barn was electric. Five guys with 17 or more, including J.J. Redick with 28. They won their first playoff game in six years by 27 on a night where Joel Embiid didn't even play. But... That doesn't mean that he didn't make a contribution, because he does. The Phantom of the Process was in the house, and he was ringing the bell before the game and then celebrating on the bench throughout the game. Oh, and then there was his casual Instagram game as well. If you scroll through his Instagram feed, there's something there too. A shot of him from a game. Him with a ball in the post. Him hugging LeBron, jawing with Draymond, and a nice trip down memory lane. Except not with Joel Because this guy's always working on another level. Look closer. Look at the opponents. Miami, Boston, Cleveland, Golden State. What's that tell you? That's the path to the title. The phantom of the process is showing the path. I mean, this guy really is an international treasure. But maybe his absence from game one allowed the casual fan to appreciate Ben Simmons even more. Because give me a minute so I can talk to you about Ben Simmons. And if you haven't woken up to this guy yet, I suggest you do it immediately. immediately, Because Benjamin David Simmons is borderline unfair. Look at his numbers. 17 points, 14 assists, 9 rebounds. And he did it in his first playoff game. He was one rebound away from a triple-double in his playoff debut. He absolutely murdered the Heat. Ben Simmons, surrounded by shooters, should be illegal. But don't take it from me. What's it matter what I think? Listen to Duanye. Duanye said, quote, Ben is great, man. The way he sees the floor, the way he attacks, he's quick, he's athletic, and he's patient as hell as well. He kind of lulls you to sleep and then Boom, it's over. Ben is Ben. It's the other guys we've got to kind of worry about. Focus on a little bit more than Ben. Ben is going to do Ben just like LeBron is going to do LeBron. End quote. Would you look at that? We haven't finished his first full season, and a future Hall of Famer is already mentioning this kid in the same breath as LeBron. One year into his career, and he's already one of the best players in the game. We're just a couple of years away from him potentially being the best player in the game. A six foot 10 cat with a handle and that kind of vision. If he gets a lethal jumper, it says here he will too, by the way, then you can go ahead and cancel Christmas. I mean, I don't know if LeBron was watching that game and thinking about a possible move to Philadelphia, but I was and I am, because right now I am in all, completely all in with this group. I mean, look at the numbers for one minute. They won 47 games in Brett Brown's first three seasons as head coach. They won 52 games this year, and they've got that playoff win. That's 17 wins in a row, including nine straight without the big man. I'll say it again. Look the hell out. And I'm not talking about this series now. I'm talking about the next five years. Because if things keep going this well, well, let me turn it over to Duanier once again. He says, quote, they're not going to let you stop them from doing one thing. That's what makes them a different group. From the standpoint of, that's what's made Golden State special for all these years. They've had other things to go to when people were just worried about the three. All the things is what makes them very good, But ultimately, they're beatable. I'll tell you what, they are. Now, they're beatable right now because they're still learning. In fact, if you want to beat these guys, you better do it right now. Tonight is a huge game for them because if ever there was a case for a letdown, it would be tonight and they still will not have Joel Embiid back. But listen to me right now and then remember this later. I'm not saying Philadelphia is going to win a title this year. But I'm saying that Duanye has seen the future, I have seen the future, and the future is Philly. And if Wade knows it, and we all know it, then I'm guessing LeBron also knows it. one 800 I'm blown away by how well they're playing right now, how good they look right now, and what their upside is, what their ceiling is. And they're doing it without Joel Embiid, and they're going to get him back. And you can't tell me LeBron's not aware of what's going on. Chris Mannix is my guest. Chris, what's going on? How are you? I'm
1: good, Jim. How you doing, man? Man, I'm great. How about you? Uh, You know, in the Northeast, we're still dealing with 37-degree weather in mid-April, so I'm I'm waiting for that to pass.
0: Nah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, but you're getting after it, as always. Let's get right into it, Chris. Before this weekend's action began, you wrote that this might be the most important postseason of Russell Westbrook's career. Let me start right there, Chris. Lay that out for me. Why is this the most critical one of his career?
1: Well, if you think about it, Jim, um, Russell's going to be 30 uh, in the early part of next season. And he's under contract for the next four years. He's basically looking at the rest of his prime in front of him with Oklahoma City. And... I think how this postseason goes, and look, I'm not basing this necessarily on information I have from Paul George, but I would imagine that the outcome of this postseason will have a strong impact on Paul George's decision uh, this summer. So if, if Russell Westbrook steps up his game, if this team goes deep into the postseason, um, he has a chance of spending the next four years competing for championships. He has an elite general manager in Sam Presti who can you know add little pieces here or there. And that's a team that can contend every single year. If for some reason they flame out in the first round and Paul George walks, all of a sudden Westbrook is going to spend the next three, four years most likely battling for a playoff spot. So for Russell Westbrook, this is it. I think this postseason will define the rest of his career.
0: Chris Mannix joining us. All right, so Paul George, a.k.a. Playoff P, goes off. He gets 36, shoots 13 to 20. And obviously, when he's playing like that, they're going to be a dangerous team. But you touched on this. It is still early. A lot could happen in this series with Utah. But if you had to say right now, what do you think that George does in the offseason? And what are the key factors in that decision?
1: Well, I I mean, I've long believed that his chances for staying were a lot higher than people think. You have to really kind of know Paul George to a certain degree. I mean, Paul, you know, he says he wants to play in L.A. last year, but Paul's a very, he's kind of a homebody. I mean, you give Paul, like, a lake behind his house that he can fish on, and he's pretty happy for most of his off days. He's not a, a nightclub type of guy, L.A. lifestyle type of guy. And I've often said, Jim, that it's easy to it's easy to say you want to play for the Lakers when you're playing on a go nowhere team in uh, in Indiana. If or in Indiana, it's another thing to leave a team that's contending to go play for a Laker team that isn't necessarily going anywhere right now. So I, I've long believed that that he's there's a good chance that he stays. In Oklahoma City, but he wants to win. And if this team can't show it can't beat, it can beat a Jazz team that, even though they're pretty good, they're young, there's a lot of inexperience there. If they can't beat Utah, I would imagine that would weigh pretty heavily on Paul George.
0: Clones, let me talk to you for a minute about what you're putting in your body. This literally has never been more important to me than it is right now. How would you like to shop for organic groceries without paying top dollar? You can bypass those overpriced local markets and shop at Thrive Market. It's a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everybody. Thrive Market is stocked with thousands of the best selling non GMO foods and natural products is at 25 to 50 percent below traditional retail prices and they've got everything you need whether your diet is paleo gluten-free vegan kosher plus personal care products eco-friendly cleaning supplies safe and non-toxic beauty products organic baby food kids products and much much more Click on a product, and you'll see things like why you'll love it, price comparisons to retail, nutritional information, and more. So you can shop knowing that you're getting the best ingredients at the most affordable prices, and it's all safe for your family. Thrive Market's prices are already up to 50% off, and now they're giving you an extra 60 bucks in free groceries plus free shipping. Get $60 of free organic groceries plus free shipping and a 30-day trial. Here's what you need to do. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rome. Thrivemarket.com slash Rome. We are talking to Chris Mannix. All right, Chris, what about the Celtics? They beat Milwaukee in game one. When you look at this Celtics team without Kyrie Irving, what kind of thoughts do you have?
1: You know, Mil- Milwaukee should be embarrassed. They really should. I mean, Boston, you know, I mean, they're playing like semi Ojale out there. I mean, like the, the, the rotation for Boston goes deep into guys. That have no business playing in a playoff series. The talent gap right now between Milwaukee and Boston is pretty significant, I think. And I just think Boston, you know, it, it, whether it's coaching or guys playing harder, that's the thing the Celtics often say. That I mean, they just play harder most nights than than some other teams. So the, the fact that Milwaukee can't play on Boston's level right now, they should be embarrassed. I mean, they should have won that game one without having to go to overtime. And I, I think the Celtics there. They need everybody to kind of step up and play an enhanced role. They need Terry Rozier to be exactly what he was last night. They need Marcus Morris to be exactly what he was last night. When Boston has everybody playing at peak potential, they can beat a team like Milwaukee, but there's a ceiling for how far that Boston team can go, largely because of the offensive firepower they lost with Kyrie Irving.
0: We're talking to Chris Mannix. All right, what about the Cavaliers? Didn't look so sharp, did they, in getting hammered by the Pacers? Yet after that game, Chris LeBron was reminding everybody that a hey, have been in much worse situations before. I was down three games to one in the finals, so it's 1-0 in the first round. I'm not going to sweat this. How worried would you be if you're the Cavs, especially when you look at the way they played and the way they played defense? I, I would be extremely worried, and I've been saying from since you know, or mid November, really, and I wrote this in mid
1: November, the Cavs were in trouble. Um, this defense is worse than what it's been in years past, and because they don't have Kyrie to bail them out of some of those bad defensive spells when LeBron's sitting on the bench, they don't have the offensive firepower to get back into games uh, like they used to. I, I'm, You know, there are a lot of, of LeBron and Cavs defenders, apologists out there, Jim, that, that, that there's nothing they could see that won't make them believe that the Cavs will, will find a way to win a series and get out of the Eastern Conference. What I watched last night was vintage Cavs giving up 33 points in the first quarter. That's what they do. You know, not being able to, to overcome uh, big deficits. That's what they do. This has just been what the Cavs have been all season long. At some point you have to accept reality. You have to say this team is not a good defensive team. And when they go up against a team that plays like a team, that's what Indiana does with Oladipo and, and, and Stevenson and Miles Turner. They're going to have a lot of trouble. I, I think, you I mean, look. They can still beat Indiana. Uh, you know this. This next game too for them is high noon. But against Toronto in the conference semifinals they are not going to win that
0: series. I agree with you. I think they're in big trouble. I think that is who they are. That's what they've done all year long. And I'd also argue, Chris, that that's who the Pacers are, and that's what they've done all year long. So I don't think there was any surprise in that game other than the magnitude of that beatdown. But this is what these two teams do. Now, let me ask you about Kawhi Leonard. He did not play in Game 1 against Golden State. And while he has been medically cleared by the Spurs doctors, he has not been cleared by his own doctors. And now there's a report that he may not play in the postseason. What do you make of the entire situation involving him and That team—it's one
1: of the strangest that that I've encountered, Jim. And and, you know, getting into inside Kawhi's camp is difficult. Kawhi's not a guy that has a very big circle of of friends and confidants. And Kawhi himself is an extremely quiet guy. I've dealt with him a couple of times doing profile pieces on him, and he keeps his inner circle pretty tight. But it's pretty clear that on some level he believes that he was misdiagnosed by the Spurs and doesn't believe that he's ready to come back into play. Now, all that being said. I thought the strongest uh, evidence that maybe Kawhi Leonard has quit on his team was not being there. I mean, look, you go to the injured players across the league. Steph Curry sat behind the bench in Golden State. Kyrie Irving was on the bench for the Celtics. If you're Kawhi Leonard, and look, you have this institutional knowledge of Kevin Durant. You've defended Durant a lot in your career. Is it not valuable for you to be there in Oakland, sit on the bench, and talk to your teammates? about defending him. Maybe it doesn't make a difference at a game one, but I thought it was really, really telling that Kawhi Leonard wasn't there. and That, to me, was another brick on the pile to make you believe that Kawhi is not going to be back in San Antonio next year.
0: We're talking to Chris Mannix. Chris, do you have any kind of sense, do his teammates, and again, I'm not saying as a group that we would know, but in that locker room, is there a sense that he has quit on them? What do his teammates think?
1: I don't know exactly what, what what each one of them think. I, I do think I think the word frustration is is a fair one to use when it comes to some teammates of Kawhi Leonard where he's at with all this. I also think some of them recognize that this could be Manu Ginobili's last go around. This could be one of, if not the last go around for Tony Parker. This is the very end of the Spurs dynasty, and, and coming back and and fighting for them maybe that's a factor in all this. But I know this frustration, you know, within that team. And look, you. You know, Greg Popovich is, is a blunt guy. I mean, when Greg Popovich uses terms like ask Kawhi and his group, I mean, th- that, that to me is, again, just telling of how, how fractured this situation has become. So I've got to tell you, I believe, and there are a lot of teams around the league, maybe it's wishful thinking on their part, but there are a lot of teams that are preparing offers uh, to the Spurs for Kawhi Leonard, significant offers because they believe he's going to be
0: obtainable. Right, so one last thought then. If, if this thing is irreparably damaged and that maybe he has played his last game, I mean, is it about his quad or is it about something else? You know,
1: I, I wish I could answer that more definitively. I think it began with the quad,
0: and it might have evolved into something
1: else. I, I don't know. A lot of people brought up the sneaker stuff, and you know, he wants to play in a big market. I think there's a measure of truth to that, but I think we've proven in the past, whether it's Durant in Oklahoma City or LeBron in Cleveland, markets matter less and less for... For superstar players. Kawhi's problem in building a kind of a national brand is that he's not a very outspoken guy. LeBron is, Durant is, and I don't think that changes as a result of the market. I I do think this began injury-related and maybe it's evolved into something else.
0: Clones, we all know you have to keep that whip looking fresh. Now granted, I live in Southern California. There is an enormous car culture out here. We all want our sleds looking amazing. And like sports, car care is a game of numbers. And the best number for your car is 303 Automotive Premium Protectants and Cleaners. They're designed to clean, shine, and protect. 303 products undergo rigorous testing to ensure superior performance and outstanding protection. And they bring out that show car finish. From your dashboard to your tires, 303 keeps your car looking new, longer. 303, we have got your number. Your car is a significant investment. What you drive says a lot about you. Make sure you keep it looking awesome. For more information, visit my pals at 303radio.com. That's 303radio.com. My car looks amazing right now. Make sure yours does too. (coughs) Let, Let me just get this out of the way. I've got Chris Mannix coming up next segment. I've got Neil Olshay coming up in hour number three. But the story goes like this. And again, I would never have gone top of hour number two with this, except the story to me is awesome, and too many of you are going the wrong way with it. So our older son, Jake, turns 17, and Janet says, where do you want to go for dinner? And we've got all these ideas, but the kid's like a chip off his old block, Uh, or a chip off the old block from the old man, because Jake says, I want to go to Javier's. Like not, let's go to LA, let's go here, let's go there. Let's just go to where we go, but let's go to Javier's, just like his old man. It took him one second to say, let's go to Javier's. So now you've heard me talk about this restaurant. It's one of my favorite spots ever. Javier, and there is a Javier, he's a legend. He's a self made man. He's got this unbelievable family business that started in Laguna, and now he's got several locations in Orange County. He's got one in Los Angeles. He's got one in Las Vegas. He's got one in Mexico. And the reason I love this place so much is the Mexican food's unbelievable, first and foremost. That's always got to be the thing. The food is great, and the vibe is amazing, and every one of his restaurants has its own personality completely. So we roll into Crystal Cove on Friday night. If you've been to this restaurant, you know what I'm talking about. Friday night, and I had not been in a long time. Because one of the reasons for that is we moved, so we're no longer as close to this restaurant as we are to another one of his restaurants. So Jake wanted to go to this one. So we go in there Friday night, and this place is just off the chain. In fact, always. You walk in, and you can barely move. It's a Mexican restaurant, and the real estate is amazing. You're really close to the water, but it's like some kind of banging Hollywood lounge or club. It's just, it's sexy, man. It's cool. So you go in there, and you never know who you might run into. And and the people watching is, like, astounding. It's incredible. Even people you don't know, obviously, you can't help but look at. It's some of the best people watching ever. But you do run into people. You've got visiting MLB teams that are all about that place. Kobe Bryant, I know, is a big Hobbies guy because I've seen him there. Hell, one night, a couple of years back, I saw the freaking cat himself, Eldrick Woods, in Javier's. That's right, Hawk. I saw the cat there. You know, don't forget, the cat is a SoCal native. The cat knows about Javier's. Man, anybody, everybody who is anybody knows about Javier's. You have to understand this. So that's not why I go there. I don't go there to look for stars. But when I go there, I see stars. And I see athletes. And then you see some C-listers who are reality stars. I mean, you see everybody. Everybody goes. So Friday night, we're there. And we're having a great time, family night, celebrating my son's 17th birthday. And you got to understand this. I've done this a long, long time, right? I've done this a long time. I've met a lot of people in hosting radio and TV shows for nearly three decades. I do not get caught up. I'm not awed by any of this, as you might imagine. I do not get caught up. So I'm sitting there getting my grub on, getting some quality family time. And I'm at the end of a table With my back to this group, this group gets up to leave. Janet motions to me because I've got my back to the group and I don't know what's going on. You know, I'm kind of into my own grub, my own world. Janet motions to me that there's somebody trying to say hello to me as he's leaving. And I turn around and who do you think I see? Who is right there? Who is live on a Friday night at Javier's? Now, some of your guesses have been pretty horrific. It was not Dane Cook. It was not Scott Service. It was not Kirstie Alley. Who do you think I saw? This guy's got a guess. Dear Jim, did you have one with Elk at Javier's? Signed Dave near Milwaukee. War one last Bob Crane reset in my lifetime. The, the Bob Crane angle? It's got to be somewhere, right? Man, go to YouTube and find that. I'm not going to reset that. Bob Crane was some 1994 fact that that guy was touring the country with a tripod making his own porn and somebody hit him over the head with a tripod allegedly that, that reset, yeah, I don't remember that story, I don't remember anything about that story, alright, so, no, it was not elk that's a better guess though, that's a legitimate guess it was not elk I'm in Javier's there's no room to move there's a line out the door, this place is banging. It's going off. Food's great. Drink's great. People watching is great. And Janet motions to me. There's somebody there who wants to say hello to you. I swing around. And right there at Javier's on Friday night. In all his glory. And I don't remember the last time I was ever as happy to see anybody as I was this guy on Friday night. Ask him. He would tell you as much. Andy freaking Reed. Andy Reed. And Javier's, needless to say, I was hyped. You combine a Friday night pop with my son's birthday celebration and my favorite restaurant and Andy Reid rolls by? You go ahead and know I'm hyped because we haven't had Andy Reid on this show in a minute or two. Now, if you go back to his days in Philadelphia, you know this has always been an enormous Andy Reid house. And I took that moment to remind him as much. And my man was just awesome. I mean, awesome. I can't tell you how happy I was to see him. You can tell if you listen to me or you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you can tell I'm still hyped on this. In fact, my son Jake, who's 17, says a couple of minutes later, Dad, I'm not sure I've ever seen you as hyped about running into somebody as you were the coach. And my response was, son, I don't know that I ever have been as hyped about running into somebody as I was the coach in that moment. Because it's a big Andy Reid house and because that was so random. I mean, Andy Reid here in SoCal? Now again, A-listers will roll into Javier's, but an Andy Reid encounter on the Newport coast was definitely random and awesome. Now maybe not as random as I make it, When you remember that he he was born in Los Angeles, he does have a place out here. So maybe not that random, but he does coach the Chiefs. He did coach the Philadelphia Eagles, and here he is at my favorite restaurant in my favorite spot and a guy who's been huge for the program for a long time. And another example of why Javier's is one of the most unbelievable spots ever. Great food, great vibe, unbelievable people watching. And one of the people you might run into might be Andy freaking Reed. I mean, no lie. I was buzzing on that the rest of the night. That and the lobster enchilada. And maybe an adult beverage. That was tremendous. Because, like, it's one thing if you know the guys in the restaurant, Right? Like, you ever do that sometimes, like, all right, I know that guy. All right, there's that guy. Should I bother him while he's eating or not? I mean, you do this, right? If you're listening right now and you see a celebrity in a restaurant, what do you do? What do you think? Do you say, should I leave him alone? Should I respect his space? He's out with his family. Or, hey, man, I got to get a pic. I got to get a selfie. I got to go over there. It wasn't one of those cases. Like, I didn't know he was in the restaurant. In fact, (laughs) the really funny thing was, we were, like, backed. Back to each other. The tables were close by, but I didn't know. You know, I'm just kind of locked into the fam, the grub, the Friday, the birthday dinner. So when I swung around, I'm like, this could be anybody at all. It could be Javier. It could be Hawk. It could be a clone. It could be Marty. It could be Kobe. It could be Eldrick. It could be anybody at all. So when I swing around with no expectation whatsoever, it could be anybody. It could be somebody who works there. It could be my next door neighbor. It could be anybody, but it was freaking Andy Reid. And it lived up to all the hype. It was absolutely amazing. You know how I know it's amazing? Because Dennis Dodd is tweeting about it. Because Dennis Dodd knows Javier's. And Dennis Dodd knows Andy Reid. Dennis Dodd knows... Dennis, Dennis, pick me up. Tell me. Help me explain to them how amazing that is. You understand? Dennis Dodd tweets Jim Rome with an Andy Reid sighting at Javier's. And not just an Andy Reid sighting, but my man could not have been more awesome. He was great. Great. You know, I used to always end the interviews with, you're the best, Jim. You're All the right, best, Jim, Jim. You're the best, man. Thanks. That, that's it. One of those moments, but in person. Hey, and clones, I know what you think you're going to do with this. I know what you want to do with this. It ain't happening. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. I can't control what you do with your phone, but I can't control what gets on the air. All right. I cannot control what you do with your time I cannot control what you do with your phone and I learned this from every great athlete in the history of the world only focus on what you can control I cannot control what you clones do but I can control what gets out on the air and don't step to me with anything other than magnanimous respect for one Andrew Reed. and like Janet knew right away and she was hyped the kids knew little bit. But you know what they were hyped on? When I showed them the punt pass and kick video. Then they were all about it. But again, I go back to Jake saying, Dad, I don't know that I've ever seen you so hyped to see somebody in public before. Son, I, you know why? Because I haven't ever been so hyped. It's a great coach right there. And a great man. Stucknut's in. Stucknut says, please tell me you got your order in before Andy's. like, that's not funny, nut. And you should know better. Man, stop. Nut, you of all people. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Ed Hughes Jeremiah tweets, did Andy ask you and your family if you were done with your leftovers before he left? No, he said, how you doing? This must be your wife and kids. Like The guy couldn't have been cooler. And he looked great. My man looked like a million bucks. Don't wreck this. Don't wreck the best Javier's encounter I think I've ever had. And again, I've had some really good ones. Several major leaguers, Kobe Bryant, who is going to be in our podcast, F33. Hell, Eldrick. Although Eldrick and I are never happy to see each other, so we both kind of left that alone. Don't wreck an amazing moment in my life, because that's what that was. And I'm not going to have it. Clones. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Not reading that. Not reading that. Not reading that. Fake uh, fake Kellen Winslow's in. He tweets, when Tiger was at Javier's, did he expect his buddies to pay for their meal like he did with those Navy SEALs? Again, I don't know. I'll read that. I'll let that stand. I'll let that stand. I'm just here to tell you right now. If you think you're going to disrespect that guy, not on my watch, or at least not on my show. Do whatever the hell you want on your own Twitter feed. Do whatever the hell you want on your own Instagram feed. Again, I can't control that. I don't care. You have your show, I've got my show, and on my show, that's not happening. I'm not having it. (laughs) Clones, let me talk to you for a minute about a brand new partner we have, hello fresh hello fresh is awesome hello fresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops plans and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook eat and enjoy this process is amazing there are three plans that you can choose from classic veggie and family so there is something for everyone in hello Fresh's selection Plus, it is an absolute blast. You can rediscover the excitement of cooking. You can look forward to your HelloFresh delivery knowing that dinner just got that much easier. And it's fast and it's easy. HelloFresh believes cooking should be simple and convenient and not a chore. You are not going to spend all night in the kitchen because the recipes only take around 30 minutes. So get out of the recipe rut and start cooking outside your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes in each week's box. We have already prepared HelloFresh meals as a family. We had a pizza the other night that was absolutely amazing. Clones, you need to jump on HelloFresh. This is a great, great offer. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code DAILYJUNGLE30. Once again, go to HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code DAILYJUNGLE30. I absolutely love this product. HelloFresh. Pierre Maguire is my guest. Pierre, it's that time of year, so I had to run you down. It's so good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. How are you doing? Pierre, I'm great. It's great to hear your voice, and I'm doing really well i got to ask you, you were on the call for Game 3 of the Pittsburgh-Philadelphia series yesterday. The Penguins absolutely smashed the Flyers 5-1. So how impressed, Pierre, were you with the way Pittsburgh showed up in Game 3 after a Game 2 loss?
2: I was really impressed with them after the first period. In the first period, they were outshot 11-4, Jim Philadelphia deserved a ton of credit. They played a very, very strong first period. Matt Murray was a difference in that game. And then in the second and third period, Pittsburgh just took it over. And you know, it's team effort, uh, but they were, they were fantastically solid the last two periods, and basically in that game, they broke the spirit of the Philadelphia Flyers because of the goaltending performance by Matt Murray in the first 20 minutes of the game.
0: We're talking to Pierre McGuire, and then Pierre, Sidney Crosby had a goal and three assists in an arena where everybody was screaming, Crosby sucks, Crosby sucks. This guy had a hat-trick in Game 1 in the series. How does Sid look to you right now?
2: He looks fantastic. He looks as uh, probably as strong as I've ever seen him look, to, not just physically, but athletically. I mean, he's just phenomenally strong. Uh, and the big thing that I can tell you is he gets off on that. He loves the fact that the Flyer fans dislike him so much. Look at his career numbers against Philadelphia, both in the playoffs and in the regular season, and how he thrives playing in that building in particular, which is one of the most difficult buildings in the National Hockey League to play in, but it just shows you how intense a competitor he is. I think he loves it when the deck is stacked against him because he always finds a way to overcome it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Pierre, he's such a huge fuel guy. I understand that, but here's something I don't get. Help me with this. The Penguins are looking for their third straight Stanley Cup. That means Crosby has played a ton of hockey over the last three years, 237 regular season games, and then two trips to the Stanley Cup. So how do you explain the fact that he's that dominant despite all those minutes and all those games?
2: He's the hardest-working player in the National Hockey League. I'll give you a case in point. When Nathan McKinnon, who's a superstar with the Colorado Avalanche, was drafted first overall uh, four years ago, uh, almost five now, Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon, the day after the draft, they went running sand dunes hmm. in the Maritimes in, in Canada. I mean, that's just the kind of guy he is, and he really, really, really enjoys the work. Um, there are a lot of guys that over time just get fed up with doing the work in the prep. He doesn't. He just loves doing it.
0: Peter McGuire joining us. So you've got a guy who does that kind of work, but then you've got the entire room, right? I mean, as I mentioned off the top, you were part of Pittsburgh's back-to-back Stanley Cup wins in the 90s. You know the kind of toll that it takes to repeat. So how would you describe the grind and how big of an accomplishment is it that they've got two straight and a good look at a third?
2: It's just an amazing accomplishment, Jim, and it's a great question. But the biggest reason why it's so difficult, we had a salary cap in the league too. And if you look at the organizational losses from the second cup team, last year's team, and Nick Benino playing in Nashville, Matt Cullen playing in Minnesota, Trevor Daly signing with uh, Detroit, Ron Hange playing in Toronto, Mark-Andre Fleury being the goaltender uh, and so popular in Pittsburgh being the goaltender in Las Vegas. I mean, those are major, major – Chris Kunitz – Uh, The longtime Penguin now being a member uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Those are six major losses from their organization, Jim. And they found a way to plug in young players, so their scouting department's done a good job. They found a way to put in established players like Derek Broussard and Riley Sheehan. Uh, in trade, so their pro scouting people are doing a great job. So all in all, it's just a magnificently run organization.
0: Pierre McGuire, NHL analyst for NBC Sports, joins us here in the jungle. Now, Pierre, you're also working the Boston-Toronto series, and Boston has outscored Toronto 12 to four in the first two games, with their top line accounting for 20 points. How dangerous is that group right now?
2: Uh, they're very dangerous, but this is a different kind of an equation now. They're coming into Toronto, and, and I just landed here, Jim, because there's terrible weather on the East Coast. I just landed here and everywhere I went, uh, once I got downtown Toronto, everybody's talking about the Leafs. So it's not just Boston coming here to play Game 3 against the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're basically playing Game 3 against the entire city of Toronto and maybe the whole province of Ontario. I mean, it's just that intense. Um, You know, but Boston's very good. Their wall coach, Bruce Cassie, their young coach, has done a great job with them. Uh, But I think the biggest thing is Donnie Sweeney, their general manager, and Cam Neely, their president, Jim, they had phenomenal vision. And they decided to transition their roster a few years ago. And they went young, and they went skillful, and they went fast. And when you put those three things together, especially with the coaching that they have, it leads to a real promising program. And that's exactly what the Bruins have right now.
0: And we're talking to Peter McGuire. Peter, what about Toronto's Nazem Qadri suspended for three games for that hit? In your opinion, does the punishment fit the crime?
2: Oh, absolutely! I didn't think the league would give him three, though, Jim. I thought they'd give him two. Mm. So you can see they're really drawing the line. George Perles, the dean of discipline, the former Mighty Duck, and or actually the more former Duck uh, and King, George Perles, shown a lot of courage uh, by going the three games um, because I think they're drawing the line in the sand with the players saying no more. We're not. We're not dealing with uh, cheap shots, and that was definitely a cheap shot uh, when he hit Tommy Wingles from the Boston Bruins uh, in the head into the boards.
0: We're talking to Pierre Maguire. Uh, Pierre, we, you touched on this briefly, but every hockey conversation I've had this year at some point eventually makes its way back to or turns to the Vegas Golden Knights, and for good reason, right? They're an amazing story. They're up 3-0 on the Kings right now with a chance to close it out tomorrow night. I mean, what's to say about that team, that organization, that they not only won the division, Pierre, but they're on the verge of a first-round sweep in their first season of existence?
2: Fantastic ownership. Mr. Foley's been outstanding. Great general manager, George McPhee. Awesome coaching staff, led by Gerard Gallant. But here's the biggest thing. They had a vision when they went to build their team. Now, the expansion rules for the draft were really doctored so they could get out of the gate, kind of swinging, and, and having a chance at home run. Well, they did that. But what they focused in on, Jim, when they went to go pick players, they wanted players that were coachable, they wanted players that had character, and they wanted players who skated quickly. You put those three things together, and then you got a chance because of the coachability part, To really make your program strong so they've done a great job in getting Marc-Andre Fleury was huge for them he's the face of the franchise he's been a fantastic stabilizer and goal it is one of the most difficult buildings in the league to go play in because their fans are electrifying um, it is it is a great thing for the league, and I'm really happy the fans are
0: loving it out there. We're talking to Pierre Maguire. Pierre, I know you just got into town, but I want to ask you a couple of things before you go. As everybody who knows you and listens to your analysis knows, you've got an amazing knowledge of junior hockey. As somebody who is so familiar with that life and the bonds that are formed, what was your reaction when you heard about the tragedy involving the Humboldt Broncos?
2: Well, thanks for asking me, Jim. Um, I was devastated. You know, I had a... I have a son who's 15 years old who left home two years ago to go play hockey in Boston, so he doesn't even live at home anymore. Um, So you think of that right away because you're part of that family of people that send their children away to play sports and go to school. Um, So we did that, and he did that. He chose to do that. Um, So you think of that. But when I was a young scout in the business, I used to go through Humboldt all the time. The best player I ever saw play there was Brendan Witt, who had a long uh, and very successful career in the National Hockey League. Um, I watched their junior play, team play the Humboldt Broncos a ton. I saw Michael Nylander play a World Junior Exhibition game there uh, for Team Sweden, where I think he had four or five points in the game. I mean, I have fond memories of going through there. Um, I was devastated, like probably think most people were, especially most people that are parents that have children involved in sport. Uh, just just unbelievable carnage. I mean, I've still, still think about it all the time, Jim. I can't believe it happened.
0: Pierre McGuire, my guest. I appreciate your thoughts on that, Pierre. Also, something else I want to ask you about, Pierre. You were diagnosed with prostate cancer in late 2017, and in true Pierre Maguire fashion, you had the surgery at 5 o'clock the morning after you worked a Blackhawks-Rangers game at Madison Square Garden. I think that, and I've mentioned this a number of times on the show, Pierre, I think that either we all know somebody who has dealt with cancer or we know somebody who knows somebody. It's that insidious. When you think back or when you look back, what do you remember about receiving that news that you had stage 1 cancer?
2: Um, I was really shocked by it, to be honest with you, Jim, because I had none of the signs. I had no symptoms at all. I was perfectly healthy. I was still keeping a really aggressive schedule. I was still doing my training that I usually do, and that's pretty intense. Um, I was traveling a ton. So when I found out, um, I had a brilliant team of doctors led by Dr. Uh, Tawari, Ash Tawari, at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Um, And if you Google him, you'll see what I'm talking about. Just a phenomenal man and brilliant surgeon. Um so we had the surgery on the fourth of january and the reason why we did that uh... doctor tori told me anyway, so i could get to the olympics uh... in korea so about a month later i was in i was in korea working the olympics but i've had three tests since and all of them have come back clean jim so i'm really really grateful to the team of doctors uh... at mount sinai and dr tori in particular and also nbc jim they've been just so supportive it's been amazing And the hockey family itself and the fans i've just it's been blowing me out of the water how many people have called or written or sent notes just to say uh, we're hoping uh, you know if you're feeling better and we're praying for you so i was shocked when they told me i had it and uh, i'm really grateful that uh, we went the aggressive way to try to fix it
0: I was going to say, and in true Pierre Maguire fashion, you beat this thing back, and I know you'd be the first to say, but not without a lot of help. You mentioned the hockey family. You're part of also a special family at NBC Sports with Doc Emmerich and Eddie O, both of whom have had their own battles with cancer. What's it meant to you to have their support and for you all to lean on each other?
2: Oh, man, it's been great. Eddie had you know stage three colon cancer, and that was a real tough battle for him. We didn't really work with Eddie this fall because of that, and he just fell through it. And uh, Doc and I kept in touch with him almost on a daily basis. And Eddie's doing great right now. I worked with him yesterday in Philadelphia, and he's getting ready for his favorite thing. Yeah, right. (laughs) The uh, Kentucky Derby. He loves the horses, so he's getting ready for that, Jim. Uh, And Doc Emmerich was great. As soon as I was diagnosed, I called Doc because uh, I think it was 26 or 27 years ago he had... Same thing I had. Uh, Surgery was a little different back then, so we had a long talk about the do's and the don'ts, and he's been amazingly helpful and a fantastic resource for
0: me. Oh, boy. We've covered a lot of stuff this morning. Pierre, one last thing. You were recently named as a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame Selection Committee. Knowing how much this game means to you and how much you treasure its history, what did that honor mean to you?
2: Oh, you're touching on all the really important things that happened this year and last year. Um I got the call, believe it or not, in October from Lanny McDonald, who's the uh, head of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he was a great player in his own right, and a Stanley Cup champion, and I said to him after about three minutes, I said, Lanny, are you messing with me? Is this kind of like a, are you punking me? And he said, no, actually, I'm being totally serious. Um, we have a certain formula that we go through when we replace somebody on the committee, and you measured up into the formula and the vote, and we want we want to welcome you into the selection committee. Would you feel like you want to do it? And I said, are you kidding me? I'm signing up right now. Correct. So I had to keep that secret, Jim. I had to keep that secret till March 1st. That's not an easy thing to do.
0: No, no, definitely not. What a great <laughs> honor. What a great honor that is. He is an NBC hockey analyst. Uh, Pierre, I think it was kind of aggressive for me to try to get all that in one segment, but I knew that to get you on the phone, I had to get to as many things as I possibly could. So, so great to get caught up with you. I know it's your time of year. I'm so glad to see you get that clean bill of health. And I appreciate the friendship. It's so good to have you back on the show, Pierre.
2: Uh, Jim, thanks so much. I hope we can talk again before the end of the first round or maybe even going into the second round, but it's always a pleasure and a privilege
0: to chat with you. Thank you Love so much. Love it. You got it, Pierre. Have a great day. <laughs> Neil Olshay is my guest. Neil, it's really nice to have you on. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. It's super to have you on, Neil. Thanks so much. Now, you dropped a tough one in Game 1 against New Orleans 97-95. to 95. One of the things, Neil, the players and coaches were saying after the game was they got up good shot attempts. They only... No, they didn't go down, but the analytics would back that up. So, when something like that happens, how do you handle that? Do you move on and just start focusing on the next game, believing that we did the right thing and the shots will fall next time?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, there were some positives to take away. I mean, I think one of the things um, everyone forgot because, you know, we were the three and they were the six was that, you know, we played each other four times this year and only one point separated the four games. Hmm. Uh, I think it was like 439 to 438. So, yeah, you know, we always expected a close series. They're well-coached. They've got a superstar player, um, other high-quality guys that match up with us. And um, I think the takeaway was, you know, we got off to a slow start. Um, you know, we bounced back. We scored 59 points in the second half. You know, our shot maker started making shots. And, you know, that's going to happen. But I think the important thing is to stay consistent with our principles. Um, you know, make sure we don't overreact to one bad half. You know, come back and, you know, take care of business tomorrow night. It's been a year Anyone that's followed us knows, I mean, we've, we've lost a lot of games this year where we walked in with an expectation to win and then bounced back and went on a 13-game win streak or swept the road trip against high-quality opponents. So I don't think we're afraid of being down one. Um, it's not an enviable position to be in, for sure. Um, now we're just going to have to play it like it's a road series, you know, get tomorrow night and then go on the road and do what we need to do there.
0: Game two tomorrow night, Neil Olshay joining us. So, Neil, let's go back a little bit first. You know, less than a month after you arrived in Portland, you drafted Damian Lillard with the sixth pick overall. What did you see in him before that draft that made you feel like he was the right guy?
3: Well, you know, we when we got to Portland, you know, we were lucky enough to inherit a really nice, um, you know, 2-3-4 with Wes Matthews, Nick Batum, and LaMarcus. Uh, we didn't have a starting quality center, and we didn't have a starting quality uh, point guard. So, you know, I think we were looking for someone that we could really commit to as you know at that position for the foreseeable future for a decade um, and we wanted to add that guy and hand him the keys right away. We were just lucky enough that our need and a player we felt was you know the best player available in the draft met and I think what sold us Jim, more than anything is something you guys see in the media and I don't know you've dealt with dame is. What sold us really was his visit and his interview. Um, You know, we had scouted him at at Weber State. We liked him. He had a terrific workout when he was here. But the way that he carried himself, you know, his character, the gravitas that he had for, you know, a young guy out of a low major college, um, you know, really led us to believe that this is a guy that one day we can hand the keys to and build an organization around. And I think that's, you've seen that's kind of what we've done. And all the players on the roster right now are guys that, you know, He preceded in terms of tenure, and every one of those guys, we made sure when we made a decision about bringing them in, we knew that they would gel and compliment Damien and the kind of organization we're trying to build around him.
0: You know, Neil, there's so much in that response that's so interesting to me. I mean, you could probably talk about him for an hour or two straight. But, I mean, there are all these stories about Damian sending text messages to teammates late at night to apologize for blowing a game where he had more than 30 or the way he's bonded with the city. How do you explain the love that he has for Portland and that Portland has for him and the fit in that regard?
3: Well, I think your word is right, Jim. I I think it's fit. You know, here's here's a guy who wasn't highly recruited out of high school right? He goes to Weber State, you know, small school, you know, low to mid-major, had had great success there, as, not only as an individual, but as a team, um, got great coaching there, you know, and then comes to Portland, which is a small market, you know, and, and I think it's a very utilitarian approach that Dame has had, right? I mean, he's always had to grind it out wherever he's been, and I think, you know, he brings something of an underdog mentality. I think one of the things that people forget now that he's a Max player and, you know, he's Dame Dalla, you know, in terms of the summer and he's got a big shoe deal, is that deep down, you know, he's a kid that, you know, quite honestly was overlooked for the majority of his basketball life. And when he got here, you know, there was this confluence of events between the success he had on the court, you know, getting Portland back from being a lottery team back into the playoffs, and an organization, you know, that quite frankly, you know, has had a lot of success. And I don't think you know, through Paul Allen's tenure of thirty years with twenty three years in the playoffs, you know, gets the accolades that it deserves long term as a high level organization. And I think all of those things really reflect well on Damien. And what we've tried to do too, Jim, is bring guys in. You know, you see it with CJ McCollum from a small school and, you know, guys that were forgotten about by other organizations like Mo Harkless and Shabazz Napier. And we want guys that come in that have the same kind of wiring, you know, that that overlooked You know, guy that with a chip on his shoulder, that basketball is now the most important thing in their lives, and they're willing to sacrifice and do what needs to be done, and they're not as focused on all the other accoutrement that comes with being an NBA player. They're going to prioritize basketball and winning, and I think that's what Dame's about, and I think it's reflected in the players he surrounds himself with.
0: Neil Olshay joining us. You know, I can see that, and I can see why that's the kind of guy that you would try to bring in. You've had so much success doing it. But when you take Lillard and then you chase that with the C.J. McCollum pick, who's become a star in his own right, I mean, from the outside, from the outside, there might have been a concern that Dame might be bothered by somebody else coming in with a somewhat similar style of play or that there might be tension between a couple of alphas. But that's not the case at all. How did you know that was not going to be the case? Well, I think
3: one—they're both high-character guys. They're both about winning. Um, You know, we felt like they would complement one another, and you know, Damian and CJ had communicated. You know, before the draft, you know, they both had a similar injury when they were in college. They both went to small schools, and uh, you know, and Dame was a big fan of CJ. So, you know, we were very lucky. We think, you know, we had CJ much higher on our board in that draft. He slipped down to us, and um, you know, we were we were thrilled to get him. And he was a guy we had targeted, but. We really felt like with where the league is going in terms of having to create, you know, shot creation, pick-and-roll basketball, a lot of random basketball, that those two guys that both could create shots for themselves and others that were elite shot makers and scorers would create a dynamic backcourt that would complement one another. And, you know, what's really been fun to watch is, you know, just how close they are off the court. And a lot of that, I think there was an article written the other day about, you know, them getting together after game one and realizing that, you know they need to stay in contact during you know during this series that they're going to be ups and downs and a lot of the pressure and responsibility is going to fall to both of them and they need to be you know in sync with one another. So you know I, I think that was the thing, Jim, was that we were we really felt like that was the missing piece. And originally it was to a totally different model. Um, we had some free agent departures, some guys we chose not to sign or trade, and then we basically rebuilt the organization around that backcourt. And you know they love playing together, they're best friends off the court. They complement each other on the court, and they—you couldn't have two more easygoing superstars, you know, in any market. Which, which really is another, um, you know, it's another endorsement of this marketplace. How they've embraced the players and how acceptant they are of being in a smaller market that really has a college-type fan base, um, you know, and the passion that they bring and. They accept a lot of responsibility and play under a microscope because of that.
0: Neil Olshay joining us. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, again, it goes back to fit. You know, it's something, though. You've developed not just a reputation for having that strong locker room, but you, your front office, the coaching staff, have developed a reputation also for rejuvenating or helping guys turn around their careers. And you mentioned some of these names. Mo Harkless, Shabazz Napier, Wade Baldwin. I mean, before you get to Nurk even – if you have an excellent player development program with Terry Stotts, but how do you know that you can get a guy that maybe has struggled someplace else but can get them to make a commitment to get them to fit in and know that they'll turn around? What kind of guys are you looking for in that regard?
3: Well, you know, what we try to do, you know, we, we basically have, like, you know, a three- or four-pronged approach if you want to kind of break it down that sure. way, Jim, which is, you know, one, we go back and trust our scouting. Um, you know, one of the luxuries we had when we had the free agent departures was that the model that we – Adopted was we were not getting anybody that was over 25 years of age. We wanted guys on the same career arc as Lillard and McCollum. We wanted guys that basically had maybe flamed out elsewhere because of extraneous issues that we knew we were getting them at a time where basketball was the most important thing. The second thing is, you know, Nate Tibbetts, David Vanderpool, Dale Osborne, the assistant coaches do a phenomenal job film, they live in the gym with these guys, they like being in the gym, they get these guys to want to work. And then we really have a great confidence in Terry that when they've been rebuilt and they've proven themselves that they're ready to contribute to a winning organization, Terry is expert at finding ways to maximize their skill level and reintroduce them into an organization where they're going to have responsibilities for outcome in terms of wins and losses and contributing to a playoff caliber basketball, not just running around, you know, getting numbers. So, I think your, you know, your differentiation is is key, which is it's one thing to go find a talent and put him out on the court and watch him get numbers. It's another thing to watch a guy seamlessly fit into an organization and a culture and contribute to winning. And that last phase really falls to guys like Dame and CJ, where they don't look at it like this is a resurrection project. They look at these guys like they're, they're teammates right away. They embrace them. They bring them into the fold. They treat them well and probably better than they had been treated to this point in their college, or in their pro careers and then that kind of empowerment leads to success
0: So, Neil, you talk at great length about culture, and you lay this out, and I think it gives the fans a really good idea about how you go about building this thing and what the culture is like, and then that leads us to the process. And I bring that up because I thought you had a great quote recently when you spoke to Paul Flannery of SB Nation, and you said, quote, this narrative that if you don't win a championship, then it's not worth competing, that's a false premise. You know, we're all led to look up at the scoreboard. Either you win it all or you don't. You can't be successful if you don't. Lay that out for me. Why is that a false premise to think that it's not worth competing if you don't win it all?
3: Well, I mean, you know, especially in a place like Portland, I, mean, I think we have an obligation to put the best product we can on the floor and be competitive. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, it's not even necessarily the best team that wins the championship every year. I mean, I think we can point the last couple of years, and there are things you can point to. You can point to a player suspension that shifted – you know, the, the direction of a series. You can look to injuries that, that shifted the direction of the series. So there are so many things out of your control that if you only work towards that one goal and forget that, you have to put yourself in a position to win a championship. I mean, that's, that's the key. But it doesn't mean that it's a failure. You know, there's got to be an intrinsic joy in, in watching guys that you care about that are positive reflections and ambassadors for your city Out there, competing every night, playing, winning basketball, and giving you hope that the organization is building towards an ultimate goal, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're always going to get there. I mean, I think Jim, you and I have seen it. I mean, I, you know, Doc Rivers had a quote, you know, the other day in his article with Kevin Arnovitz that, you know, he didn't really, I don't think that he celebrated the way that he probably would have had he known that how hard it would be to win a second championship. You know, when they won the first. And I think you do have to embrace the moment and understand that there is a joy in watching your team play well, compete at the highest level it's capable, and then know that there's an incumbent responsibility on the front, or front office and ownership to continue to build and improve that team. But you've got to enjoy the ride as well. I mean, it's not just always about the destination.
0: It's so true, right? If any of us or all of us knew then what we know now, I'm sure that every coach would tell you that, that when you're in it and you're battling and competing and grinding so hard, you would never appreciate it as much as you should. All of that said, knowing how much that city loves the team, and I would imagine because you've been in other places, you have that perspective now to be in a market that's that unique and that special. Knowing what you know, what would it mean to bring that city, those fans, a championship?
3: Well, I can't imagine because, you know, I mean, I still hear about, you know, the, the championship
0: we, they did win here,
3: you know, and how special it was. And, you know, and guys still remember stories, you know, guys that are now my age, you know, that grew up with, you know, posters of Bill Walton and Lionel Hollins, you know, on their walls. That, you know, then their kids had Clyde Drexler and now their kids have Damian Lillard. Mm. So, you know, I think that, you know, there's, there's really a lineage here and a passion for this team that's unparalleled and a sense of history. And because they won a championship so early in their tenure, you know, I think that kind of sets the bar. And, you know, and look, the first thing you see when you walk into our practice facility is the Larry O'Brien trophy. And I, I think that's something we're all working towards every day. But what you don't want to lose sight of is, that part of it is the joy of the journey. And when you look at, you know, the the fans in that building, and we have the greatest fans in the world because, you know, I watched, Jim, my first year here, we were, you know, year one of a rebuild and we were lucky enough to accelerate it in year two. But that year, that building was still sold out. Our ratings were high. The fans were passionate. They were as into it in game 82 as they were in game 81, even after we were eliminated. So I think there's a love, there's a shared connection between the team and the city and I think the city realizes, you know, how lucky they are to have an owner like Paul Allen, that keeps a team in a small market, you know, that isn't looking to move it and look at greener pastures. That there's a civic obligation to having the team here, knowing what it means to the fabric of the community and the passion that they have for the Trailblazers, since you know, since it was brought here
0: initially. I think it's a really unique market. I think it's a really unique organization. I am always thrilled to talk Trailblazer basketball on this show. Neil, you know, I've, talk, I've talked to a lot of people about you for a long time. I'm glad that you and I could finally have this conversation on this show. That was absolutely tremendous. I know Game 2 is huge tomorrow night, so I really appreciate you making time to come on the show before that game, and really nice to get caught up.
3: Yeah, it was, it was great. It was great being on. I mean, long-time long, long
0: listener, no-time caller, so I finally called in. This call today probably should give us a pretty good indication of how he wants to play it. Let's go there right now. Rex in the ABQ. Rexy, what's up?
4: I can't take the pressure. <laughs> you know, Romy, the gulf between the NBA and the NHL playoffs is so great. You could drive LeBag's custom Mercedes Sprinter van in between them. On the one hand, you have the NHL where guys play every game like it's their last having their faces sliced open by sticks, and getting stitched up on the bench so they don't miss a shift, taking vulcanized rubber to their grill on purpose so they can block a shot, and not giving a damn how many chicklets they lose in the process. Then you have the National Bag Association and these attention-seeking tools, throwing temper tantrums and threatening to quit social media. I mean, how much perspective are these guys lacking looking for any reason to bitch and moan about the most trivial situations, taking wheelchairs to locker room, and missing games to sprained ankles? Do you really think Sidney Crosby is going to miss one second of ice time due to an ankle sprain? Get real. War the Golden Knights and War Gidget Girls' new colt. I'm out.
0: Wow, look at this guy. Go ahead and rock him. Hey, Rex, I got to admit, part of that call I spent looking behind me at your picture. Yo, Big dog, is it me or are you flashing? Are you flossing a roly on your wrist? Rick in Buffalo. Rick, what's going on?
5: Uh, Everything's going great, Jim. Just got back from an extended Florida vacation. We flew first class and stayed at Sarasota's most exclusive beach resort. Now one of my favorite parts of being back home is getting caught up on the show. That is, till I had to listen to the 18 calls Rex and Albuquerque made over the last two weeks. Just because you call all the time, Rexy, doesn't mean you're a good caller. You'd be wise to take my advice, little man. Instead of calling the show twice a week, scale it back to maybe twice a year. It won't make your calls any better, But it'll remind everyone a lot less often how truly terrible they are. Now a guy who should be calling on a regular basis is the two-time in-reigning smack-off champ Lef Laguna. left has been all over the woodscopes. He's been a guest on Matt and Van's podcast multiple times. His Twitter presence has been prominent. But you know where he hasn't been, Jim? On your call screen. Far be it from me to tell you how to run your show But maybe it's time to pull a page from Dana White's playbook. If the champ chooses to stay away, you simply rip his title and give it to the next man up. Mike and Indy, wait a minute. That bag never calls anymore either. Ah, what the hell, Jim? Just give it to me. I may not be worthy, but at least I'll make a decent call every now and again. And before I get out, Jim, I gotta say a couple things about Clayton Larchuk. Everyone who watched him take a skate to the neck back in 89 thought he was going to bleed out and die right there on the ice. The fact he was back in game action a week and a half later is as badass as it gets. And this doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of this dude's toughness. If you haven't listened to the podcast or read his book yet, do it. The guy's got an incredible story. War Aaron Boone bringing some grit back to the Bronx of that stupid K-Zone graphic. If nobody's going to use it, get it the hell off my screen. Thanks for the vine, Jim. I'm out.
0: Nice job, Rick. Rick in Buffalo. Alvy, rack him. Good night now!
1: How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're uh-huh. thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend... A unicorn
3: loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.